You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. Very glad that I can be with you and that you can be with me today. We are giving you two hours of local content in the upper Midwest every day, Monday through Friday. Today, we have already spoken with someone here at the University of Mary, and now we're going to cruise over to Fargo to see what's happening there. Patrick McGuire, are you there? I sure am. Great, Patrick. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, you are the Director of Choral Activities at Shanley High School, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure thing. So yeah, I'm the Director of Choral Activities at Shanley High School and also Sullivan Middle School there, the combined uh, Catholic High School and Middle School in Fargo. And uh, I also am the Bell Choir Director at St. Anna Joachim Catholic Church. I do organ and accompany there as well at St. Mary's Cathedral, so I'm doing all kinds of liturgical music nerdery on the weekends, um, <laughs> just enjoying that, and uh, that's been a great passion of mine for a few years now. I've been working with uh, formerly Father Matt Kramer, our Director of Liturgy for the Diocese, now Father Jason Miller, and we do workshops throughout the diocese, and my job is to, in particular, teach uh, sacred music, but uh, chant in particular is kind of where I focus a lot of my research and my uh, study, and of course, practice in the liturgy as well. That's great. Well, 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 that's fantastic. How'd you... Uh How'd you get into all this? You grew up uh, by an organ? Uh, well, kind of. I was a violinist at first, so the organ was kind of a mm. new development in college. But uh, my father is a professor of theology um, at a Catholic university in uh, Montana University of Providence. And so he kind of got me a little bit started. And there was another priest who was the director of vocations for our diocese at the time in high school that kind of introduced me to some of the traditional uh, music and liturgical practices at the church. And it just, uh, I kind of fell in love, and so I started nerding out, and we would, uh, you know, watch tutorials on how to do the Latin Mass. Like, that's how bad it was. I was in a bad place, man. I was watching videos all the time, <laughs> you know, <it's laughs> typical high school kids. What else are they doing but watching the traditional Latin Mass tutorials on YouTube? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I just kind of grew uh, naturally, and I started to get into it more and uh, really enjoyed that type of worship. Mm, great. So, how about just in general, uh, music and the per- a personal experience with music and uh, how it accompanies prayer or our relationship with the Lord? Well, or for yourself, how do like what is it? What's the relationship between uh, between worship and and just music uh, for yourself? You know, it's a beautiful union. I always tell my hmm. students that um, music has such importance in our world because it is not important. It's not, um, you know, one of those things we need for survival. It's not like food and water we have to consume or sleep that we need or the love and affection of other people. Um, But that's exactly why it's so important for us, because we as human beings can create. We can make music and we can glorify God with this great gift He gave to us, the the ability to create something. And if you look at, you know, all the other animals in the world, you know, they on their own will, their own accord. They don't just create things for fun the way that we do as human beings. And that's why something like music is such an important thing for us is because it's a one of the most pure ways we can give back to God, our Creator, through the things that He's given us um, to, to praise Him with. So you look at the Psalms and all the beautiful prayers that are uh, laden in there with the music, uh, the singing, you know, praise Him with timbrel and dance, lyre and harp, uh, it's, all, it's all over in there. So the, the Psalms are a great example of how that beautiful prayer can be lifted up even more perfectly to God through music. And of course, there's the old adage, to sing is to pray twice. And I definitely mm-hmm. would agree with that, you know. So, for me, music has just, uh, again, been that beautiful union between the, the love of the Lord and giving back to Him uh, in praise as our, as our Creator. And it's a, a beautiful 
beautiful ministry to be able to give to people as well, uh, liturgically in the Mass, uh, but also in private prayer too. Sometimes I just love to, to chant my prayers, whether it's you know morning prayer first thing in the, the morning or I'm at adoration and just doing uh, some simple uh, adoration hymns, something like that. You know, it, it's, a, it's a great private prayer as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about... Um with regard to prayer and what you're speaking about, but even stepping back from that, uh, music is is uh, so near and dear to so many people uh, uh, here at the university. The students are always listening to music. They they want the the newest music, or they have their favorite music, or a certain type of music they want to listen to, and it, and they like they tap into something deep with that deep within them, uh, not necessarily in prayer, uh, but you know just in general. And I I remember even when I was growing up, uh, I wasn't. I was not in a formal. I mean, I was I was a Catholic, but I, I like, didn't pray ever except for at mass. I'd go to mass, but I don't even know if I was praying there. I was just right. I, I didn't even know what I was doing actually. Right. But um, <laughs> most but people don't. Be, <laughs> right there was there was these uh, songs that would come out that would like tap into the deeper places of my own mind or my own heart. Like when I was maybe in high school and I was uh, trying to date these different girls, and like there would be this song about love, and it would just like it would go so deeply inside of me, and I would almost like like cry out. Uh, to something beyond myself or even beyond this girl that I was like thinking about this song for or whatever. It was like, there's something going on really right. deep. And it was probably the closest thing to prayer that I experienced uh, as far as... Um not as, not as far as like actually talking to God, but like a movement stirring deep within and tapping into the deeper place of my of my own being. I guess I could say. Right. So, uh, so that's just on the that's just on the on the on the surface level. Well, with music, when you when we anchor that into uh, actually bringing it to the one who made us, as you say, to to give to our Creator uh, these things that He has given us, that it really takes on this uh, this incredibly transcendent. A connection from that which we already experienced to uh, to being in union with God Himself. So I I, I want to just affirm what you just said about reaching into the depths and this great union that takes place. Um, what about so? I mean, we, I think we can affirm that on the on the sort of what would we say the subjective or uh, experiential level. Sure, that there's this great union, right? But how about like uh, as far as a wisdom behind it all, or um, or an ordering, or a, or a philosophy, or a theology? Uh, with regard to music, I mean, is there any, is there a rhyme or a reason, really? I mean, or is it just like just <laughs> go for it and see what happens, or like what's the deal? Yeah, so I mean, anytime you get into this conversation about what's the purpose of music, how should we do it, how do we go about it, you get a lot of mix of opinion and, and feeling about because, like you say, music is such a personal thing to people. You know, we mm-hmm. all connect to music in different ways and to different music in different ways. Uh, but when it comes to the church. If you look at the documents of like Vatican II, Sacrosanctum Concilium, Musicum Sacrum, or even just look in the general instruction of the Roman Missal, there's a lot of instruction in there as to what should be sung, when, and how. And the general idea is that the liturgy should be a holistic uh, service of prayer that's really connected in the words of the liturgy. So there's antiphons, like the entrance antiphon, for example. If you go to daily Mass, you almost always uh, will speak through that entrance antiphon, uh, but that's what's prescribed even for Sunday Masses, too, as opposed to a hymn. The The intention is to have that antiphon said, because when you put the antiphons all together, with the entrance, the offertory, uh, the communion, you put those with the readings, there's this holistic worship that comes together and the whole message of what that day in Scripture is trying to give you. And so the, the idea is to, to get into the theology of that 
of, of those words, putting them together. The words come first, and then the music kind of grows out of that authentically. Now, since Vatican II, we've kind of gone away from that a little bit. Uh, by a little bit, I, I really should just say a lot of it, because we don't really do that uh, anymore. But uh, but it's still possible to have that there. So the first idea with the, with the music has to do with the words. How are we working with the words from Scripture? What are we doing with the word in the Mass to bring us all into that same place of worship of God together as a community. And that's the first and most important piece. Mm-hmm. So, I I think a lot of people um, maybe have an understanding that at the Second Vatican Council there was a change from whatever was going on to to uh, to uh, the now have, you know, four, four hymns, uh, Entrance, Offertory, Communion, and, and Recessional Hymn, that that wasn't necessarily the case. Uh, no, yeah. And if you read through these documents, it'll almost like whenever it refers to singing, for example, in the mass, it always refers to it as chant. So at this time, the appropriate chant may be sung, or at the offertory, the appropriate chant may be sung. And if that's not okay, you can do a different antiphon of the season, or do a psalm. And then it's like the fourth or fifth option is a hymn, if you would so like. Or you know, for communion, after the antiphon has been done then a second hymn may be added uh, for the edification of the faithful. You know, like it, it's never the first intention of the church to have that uh, hymn be there. But the point of Vatican II, a lot of the liturgical reforms were simply because we didn't understand the Mass. We lay people in the congregation. We weren't connecting to what Mass was supposed to give us. And there was a lot of private devotion, you know, people praying their rosary while the priest says everything in Latin that you don't understand and you're doing your own private devotion. Oh, it's time to go to communion. I'll go do that. And then, okay, bye-bye. Um, so then Vatican II's goal was to try and get us to understand what we're doing in the Mass more so that we can more actually participate. Um, the, the phrase that came out of Vatican II was active participation, right? We want to foster the active participation of the faithful. But if you go back and look at the original word that was used, it wasn't activa, it was actuosa. It means actual participation. You want to actually be a participant because you understand you're enveloped in this liturgy. So for uh, for us to go away from, from what we should be, perhaps, is, is simply that we just didn't understand it. So the, the purpose now should be to educate ourselves on how should these things be done and how can we more closely connect ourselves to what God wants us to, to be getting out of Mass. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, if, if you don't understand the Latin, you don't understand these antiphons and whatnot, you're not going to get anything out of Mass. So it is a prudent decision to go away from them for some time, but then to also add the education. And that's kind of the big piece we've missed, I think, from Vatican II, was to re-educate ourselves on these beautiful things in the liturgy that are meant to draw us in closer to God. Mm. Mm. All right. My, uh, my mother led music for decades, and uh, I, I remember she was saying, okay, we need, we need four hymns for whatever, whatever this thing was. And uh, so she's like, she would ask me like, "What should we not that I'm the priest?" She would say, "Well, what, what hymn should we do?" I was like, "Well, what is the what is the text of the what's the text say?" Mm-hmm. And she's like, "What do you mean? What does the text say?" <laughs> I was like, "Well, well, let's look at the mat. Like, what are the readings?" She's like, "Oh, here's the readings." Like, okay, so what about the text for the like for the entrance of the offertory and for the communion? What is it? What does the text say? She's like, "I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, mom, I want to teach you a little bit about that. There's not just readings that are prescribed for mass. There's uh, actually there's other texts right. that are." Actually, there sitting right next to the readings uh, that are that are laid before us, and uh, we don't substitute the readings out for something else. I'm, right. So we let's look at these other let's look at these other texts. And 
see if there's something that we can at least anchor to that, and at least as a theme, if not the actual text, right? So uh, it's kind of a backwards way of going back to saying, hey, let's let's look at what the church provides, Mom, and, and just do that. But um, Well, yeah, it's really easy as a church music director, you know, I think if, if you just look at, here's what the church says to do. It's really easy. You don't have to bend over backwards and, and go through three different hymnals to find just the right one. Like, it's all right there for you. And a yeah, lot of it is, you know, public domain free at this point because it's been around for so long, you know, so there's yeah. a lot of free resources, but again, it's just that education piece. We just don't know it as much as uh, we might have in another day and age because we haven't been taught about it. Right, 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 right. Everybody, we're going to continue this conversation with Patrick McGuire about music and the liturgy, music at the Mass, uh, what's actually going on here, how can we talk about it, what, uh, what is the church looking for from us, and how can we uh, respond. So we'll stay on that topic after this break. Stay with us. This is Real Presence Live. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. SJ Machine, proudly named after and dedicated to St. Joseph, provides quality machining and induction heat treating to a variety of industries. Just as St. Joseph worked diligently to meet his family's needs, SJ Machine strives to understand and meet your production needs. Prototype to production, working together towards success. SJ Machine can be reached at 701-347-0155 and are a proud supporter of the Real Presence Radio Network. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, the Director of Advancements for Real Presence Radio with today's Plan Giving Minute. Philanthropy is an expression of your generosity with the understanding that your gift to the church will make a difference. There are many ways in which you can make a gift to further God's work. Most of us are familiar with cash gifts we give regularly to Real Presence Radio. However, another way of contributing is through plan giving, which may allow you to give more than you've ever dreamed possible. The goal of plan giving is to help you plan your estate and charitable giving in a way that benefits you, your family, and our mission. There are several ways you can make these plan gifts and enjoy tax and income benefits. For more information, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. The Mustard Seed Catholic Store is South Dakota's place to purchase Catholic books, gifts, and decor. With locations in Rapid City and Sioux Falls, we are here to provide you with gifts for the Catholic occasions in your life. From baptism to First Communion, confirmation to weddings, and ordinations, we pride ourselves in having local artists share their creative talents, making rosaries, crucifixes, artwork, coffee, and books. We are located in Rapid City on Main Street, in the new Diocesan Building, or in Sioux Falls on Grange Avenue across from Costco. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody, to Real Presence Live. This is Father Craig Vosick, your host for today's edition. Coming to you live from the University of Mary atop a hill outside of Bismarck, North Dakota. We are chatting with Patrick McGuire in Fargo, North Dakota. Um... There's a new show coming out called Fargo. Does anybody know about it? I can't say I do. There was a movie that came out that was dark and weird right. a long time ago. <laughs> it's some people's favorite movie, so maybe I shouldn't have said that. But now there's like, uh, I think it's a, 
I think it's going to be like multiple seasons sort of televisions or like, you know, Netflix or whatever those kinds of things are. Uh, show and it's I think it's gonna be kind of a take on that original dark show but like even weirder I'm not exactly sure <laughs> but anyway I think there's a thing uh, coming out called Fargo and it's gonna be it's gonna be wild but I probably won't watch it anyway we're yeah. in Fargo North Dakota <laughs> with you Patrick and we're talking about various things we're talking about the liturgy we're talking about music with regard to the liturgy whether music is integral to the liturgy whether there is texts that have already been given to us that are integral to the liturgy and it seems like that's where we've arrived in our conversation uh, uh, now we're getting into kind of a how and why um, the church has used music. We've talked about it already personally. You, you shared about how uh, important uh, music is personally for you or for others in their in their private prayer or in various ways in their life. But uh, let's let's kind of go back through that again with regard to the church um, and how music, f- maybe from the beginning or, or down through the ages, has been. Um, has been at the very heart or at the very center in many ways to to worship. Absolutely. Well, if you go back to the earliest days, you know, as I'm studying college music history, you know, it's impossible to get around the early church musicians and the great depth of music they got into and how the, the, the things that they were composing. I mean, some of the greatest composers from the earliest ages, Palestrina, Byrd, Talis, um, you know, even down into Mozart, Bach and Beethoven, everybody was composing mass music and doing all these things for worship and the liturgy. And so one of the things that you talk about as a music education major is how do you have that conversation like in a public school, for example, to be able to perform these sacred masterpieces that really are, you know, if you just look at them musically, forget the religious side of it, musically, they're fantastic pieces of work, but then to bring them into the secular culture that we have today, that's a weird conversation to have to have in some places. I'm very lucky not to have to have that working at Shanley High School, Um, but that's something that's really important. So all through the ages, I mean, this has been a, a focal point of composers all throughout time. It's always been about um, uh, giving praise and worship to, to the Lord and whatnot. So all these choral masterpieces from the earliest days, they're all about uh, the mass text and, and, and whatnot. So it's always been there. It's always been an important part of our culture and heritage to have these beautiful ways to give back to Christ um, uh, through our song. And, and in the liturgy, the text that we have there, whether that's you know the, just the mass parts, the uh, Kyrie, you know, Lord have mercy, the glory to God, Gloria, all these different texts. There's hundreds of thousands of settings of these mass parts that composers have always done, and they're great texts and almost always done in Latin, you know, that, that's the, the language of the church. And so, we're given so much there, and composers have taken that and run with it from the earliest days of, uh, of our Western classical tradition, and that's a beautiful heritage um, in, in that as well. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned earlier in the, in the interview, uh, even going back all the way to the Psalms, uh, that uh, music instruments and music were, were part of even all the way back in, in the Old Testament worship. So uh, when we talk about the church, uh, so New, New Testament um, dispensation of the Lord, um, what, what were the earliest forms or the most ancient forms that, that music was incorporated? Were, were there instruments? Was it just the voice? Was it like a number of people? Like what, sure. What, what did that look like? You know, if you want to go back and look at like the earliest days of what Catholic worship was, the Christian community in the earliest days, you look at St. Jerome Martyr, you look at his confessions and what he wrote, and that's a great thing you can look at. You can uh, just, you know, Google St. Jerome confessions, um, uh, on the Mass, you know, in worship and whatnot. You can see the way he lays out everything, and you start to read through the paragraph of how do they do their worship. And that sounds very familiar, because not much has really changed about the form and structure of how we worship. And, of course, that would have come out of the, the Jewish tradition of the synagogue and whatnot, and I was even talking with 
a, um, a scholar on chant at one point, and he was telling me about this um, community of Yemenite Jews that was found in the, I want to say, late 60s. Um, by a group of researchers, and they started to study their culture, and they found out that um, a lot of the melodies that they used for their worship in synagogue when they were worshiping, praying the Psalms, were actually the same melodies that were um, in the um, Graduale Romanum, and some of these um, uh, melodies that we have with Gregorian chant, for example, the same melodies were being sung with um, the same text for the same psalms. And so it's theorized then that some of the things that we sing when we do these traditional chants and these antiphons and these psalms, it's theorized that perhaps it's the same melodies that Jesus himself would have even been singing in synagogue, which is just like kind of a mind-blowing thought, like, whoa, like, right. Jesus did this too. This is incredible, right? Wow. Um, so that's like, a, of course, you know, a, a great possibility I'd love to think is probably true to, to some extent. But yeah, it's it's uh, music was, uh, for the most part, uh, something that was, you know, acapella, no instrumentation, but, um, you know, things like the organ, for example, were um, created to kind of mimic and imitate the, um, the human voice. And so that was a great way to kind of supplement the voices of the congregation as we started to build these grand cathedrals and these open spaces for worship. And so uh, there was something that was needed to kind of bolster the singing there. But um, what's great about acapella singing is that you don't have to have a huge church budget uh, to be able to do it. You know, like if there's some of these rural parishes, it's just like, oh yeah, I'd love to have a great big organ, sure, but that's just not possible. But you don't have to have it. And that's what's nice about like chant, for example. It's that basic, simple, you don't need a piano, you don't need anything else, you just need to have a, a starting pitch. And even then, you know, it's kind of up to you what's comfortable to you. Where do you want your starting pitch to be? You know, do you have a bunch of, you know, like in this part of the country, it's, you know, all these deep Scandahoovian voices. Everybody's got those low baritone, low alto sounds. Mm-hmm. And I'm a, I'm a high Irish tenor, so I don't fit in all the time. Um, <laughs> so when I'm picking my note, you know, I'm, I'm often higher than other people. Yeah. I, I was doing a lot of the live stream masses with Bishop Fulda when our quarantine first started uh, back in March and I had a couple times where I asked our organist to, you know, transpose it up a bit for me, but then people at home would send me messages and say, can you stop transposing up, please? That's really not helpful for us. We can't (laughs) sing along. Um, But it's very accessible, right? So this chant thing is very accessible for you. You don't have to have an organ and whatnot. So that's where it was uh, in its first origins. uh, It began there as kind of a quick overview, I suppose. Sure. Thank you. Everybody, we're speaking with Patrick McGuire, Director of Choral Activities, Shanley High School, talking about music and its integration in the Mass, uh, talking about chant, talking about uh, the Psalms, the, the mind-blowing reality that uh, some of the tones or, or modes or methods that we make use of uh, today, if we, if we uh, kind of recapture some of the uh, classic expressions of chant could have been the same as the Lord Jesus himself used and that's just that is as you said mind blowing actually to think that to think that way right. uh, so anyway what are what are some ways we can come to appreciate uh, these forms of of song or of uh, music uh, if you know like I grew up in a parish and we had four hymns uh, and my mom would play the piano or another lady would play guitar or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're telling me there's other things out there. How do I, what's the deal? How do I, how do I get in touch with them? Well, um, there's a, a bunch of different ways to go about it. I never recommend when people ask me this kind of question, you know, they, they love the sacred music, perhaps uh, that's the traditional nature of Gregorian chant and such. I never recommend a full blown 
180. You know, let's go away from the four hymns and just do nothing but the antiphons and chant. Uh, that's not ever going to go well. Uh, in particular, I talk to new priests all the time, and they're, they're preached to at seminary, saying, don't go into your parish and change all this stuff right away. Your congregation will not like that. Um, so what I would recommend is just start looking into, you know, when you're making your selections for the music, for example, really look at the antiphons, look at the readings, and pray with those as you're making your selections. That's a great first step. And then educate, you know, your, your choir or your, your congregation, whoever you're working with, depending on the size of your parish, here's how we choose the music and why. We really look at these texts. And then it starts to get easier to say, well, hey, why don't we try singing these? And there's all kinds of resources out there. If you just, uh, you know, one of my favorites is to go to Corpus Christi Watershed. Um, Jeff Ostrowski is a great uh, pioneer in the traditional music uh, with that. He has a great community of people that he works with there. There's a lot of free resources out there and uh, ways to uh, teach yourself chants and whatnot. Uh, like I've, I've gone to parishes and done workshops before to just teach church choirs how to do that. Um, and it's, it's kind of a tricky system at first when you look at it, but once you start to understand it, it's actually much simpler um, than you think. So it's just a matter of exposing yourself and having a disposition to say, okay, I'll give it a try. You know, that's always the first thing with it. So just an open mind, I think, is the first thing. But then when you're looking for actual resources, a lot of it's free if you just look online. Uh, there's so many great resources. I have an app on my uh, tablet that's uh, called Square Note. And it has all the chants for the uh, ordinaries and the mass and whatnot for the whole year. So anytime I want to throw a communion antiphon or something like that in, um, I'm able to do that. I just pull it right up, and there we go. So, Yeah, this is very, very, very helpful. So just on the, that last piece, or maybe not quite, but I was thinking, you know, if people want to implement this, you're, you're giving us a lot of good things. What if someone just wants to hear it and just, sure. like, I just want to hear it? And, like, is there any, like, places we can just listen to these things for free? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, there's a, a Gregorian chant a, um, album that was put out in 2010, I think, by the monks of the Abbey of Notre Dame. And it was, I think it cracked the top, I don't think it was the top 10, but I think it was the top 20 in the pop charts that year. Whoa. Yeah, so it's it's so funny to me. You know, we, we don't have chant often in our liturgy, but, you know, <laughs> we love it so much. It's such a relaxing and beautiful, peaceful sound that people will buy these albums and it reaches the top 20 on the pop charts because it's just that popular. Uh-huh. So you can find it on YouTube. Just Google Gregorian chant and you'll find like these compilations, like three hour long things. You can put that on while you're working and just, uh, you know, be at peace a little bit. Um but there's also you know stuff on Spotify, iTunes. If you just look up Gregorian chant, it's all there. Um, all kinds of resources there for you. That's funny, Gregorian chant. Uh, you, we don't hear it at mass very often, but I hear it in a lot of like massage parlors. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's just like oh, it's a nice relaxing sound, but you know, like for its original use in the mass. Eh, forget it. Now we're not going to get there. We don't want to do that. <laughs> That's great, Patrick. Thanks so much for being with us today and to to share with us some of the insights from uh, from our own liturgical history. Absolutely. My absolute pleasure. I'm always happy to nerd out about it. <laughs> That's great. Well, I have a question. Uh, you can't answer it now, but you can research it. I want to know why in the uh, various places we have entrance antiphon, community antiphon, but the offertory antiphon is hardly ever listed anywhere. I want to know about that. So go study that and let me know, okay? I'll be on it for you. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Great. Thanks so much. Everybody, we're going to take a little break and we're going to talk about what really matters most. This is Real Presence Live. Stay with us. 